0: If you take your worship guides and you go to the back middle portion of it, you're going to see the scripture on which the sermon is based. If you have a Bible with you, you can also turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 9. That's what we're looking at today. Um, We've been slowly working our way through Luke's gospel uh, over the course of a couple months into last year. And we're going to continue in Luke chapter 9 verses 28 through 36. If you're not too familiar with this uh, form of literature, what the Gospel of Luke is, it, it is a first-century written document that describes the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, who Luke has identified, is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Luke is, is basing these stories, these writings, on early eyewitness records of people who follow Jesus. We can trust that this is a historically accurate, faithful, trustworthy account of who Jesus is, what he came to why that matters to us. But Luke wants more than for us to simply understand stories about Jesus. He's writing to a first century audience here, but he also has in mind 21st century listeners like us who have heard the good news of Jesus. But what Luke wants for them is for them to find their rest in this Jesus, to follow this Jesus, to trust in him, to give their whole lives to following him. And what we're about to read today is one of the most like, stunning moments in the life of Jesus. Really, really very shocking where, where who he is truly shines out most brightly. Let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36 for the reading of God's word. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying... The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came over. A cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything that they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray again. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to us in your word, for revealing your son Jesus to us. Father, even as as Jesus prayed on the mountain, Um, As as he prays throughout his ministry, and often we see who he is being revealed as a result of these prayers, we too pray in the power of the Spirit that you would open our eyes to who Jesus is. For those who who don't know you, uh, for those of us who have perhaps grown too comfortable with who you are, that you would open our eyes to see your glory this morning. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. At the beginning of J.R.R. Tolkien's epic book, lord of the rings we meet a man named strider strider is a ranger from the north uh, which means he's like this wandering weather-beaten nomad he lives in desolate places he doesn't have a home he doesn't have any riches he doesn't have a family or anything except what seems to be the clothes on his back and among the respectable people in the world rangers are mistrusted they're despised because what kind of person what kind of person would live like that right Someone who's got someone, something to hide. Someone unsavory. But of course, just beneath the surface, just beneath Strider's outward appearance, is someone that the people in, who interact with him on a daily basis, someone that they would not expect. There's more to Strider than meets the eye. And in the course of the story, it's revealed that Strider is no mere ranger, but he is Aragorn the long-lost king of men. He is the king that Middle-earth's been long waiting for, some to lead and protect them from the darkness that's begun to creep in. And in the story, when this truth is revealed to the hobbits, the very little people in the Lord of the Rings, they're astonished by this revelation. They're blown away. And this is how Tolkien writes after Aragorn has been revealed to them for who he is. It says, he stood up and seemed to grow taller, in his eyes gleamed a light, keen and commanding. And his face softened by a sudden smile. And he said, I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn. If by my life or by my death I can save you, I will. And then as quick as it came, it's just Strider again. And and together with the hobbits, they're off into the forest somewhere. And in our story from Luke 9, something stunning happens. That's even more glorious than this. The corner of the veil that covers the glory and the infinity and the power of Jesus Christ, who is God's own Son, is pulled back just for a moment, just for a split second it seems, and we catch a glimpse of his glory. Jesus is someone who, in the Bible, it is clear that he actually has no external majesty to him just according to his flesh. The people who pass by Jesus on a daily basis would see nothing attractive or stunning about him. If you've seen any of those like 1980s paintings of Jesus with long flowing blonde hair, you know, sparkling blue eyes, they're wrong. They're inaccurate for a couple of reasons, all right? But mostly because Isaiah 53 is really clear. The Messiah had no former majesty that we should look at him. Externally, there was no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. He was rejected by man. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as from one whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. That's actually what Jesus was like. Someone, again, that you just pass along on the street without giving a second thought to. And maybe that's you. Like maybe you just pass by Jesus without a thought in the world. Like there's nothing in him that really draws him to you. Or draws you to him. Maybe you've been in the church for a while, you know, and, and, and Jesus is just kind of Jesus to you. you know, he's, he's a rabbi. He's the carpenter's son. He's a good teacher, nice with kids, but, but not much more else. And yet, and yet, what Luke is telling us is that just beneath Jesus' outward appearance is someone the people who interact with him on a, on a daily basis would not expect. There's far more to Jesus than meets the eye. And the story, as we read it, it's meant to wake us up. It's, it's meant to shock us a little bit. Please do not treat Jesus as a common person with indifference, with inattention. And you might be actually tempted to do this the more familiar you are uh, with Jesus, the more comfortable you are here at church. But listen, there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. That's actually that's a good way of summarizing the story. There, there is infinitely more to this Jesus That we meet in Luke 9 than meets the eye. And this story is about revealing some of Jesus' true identity. On this day, when Peter and James and John join Jesus on the mountain, we catch just a brief glimpse of this. So, this is our outline for today, all right? It's answering the question that Luke is trying to explain to his readers Who is Jesus? What's his identity? And it's this Jesus is the glorious God in a person, the voice we should listen to most, and the one who leads us home. That's, that's what we'll be going through today. Jesus is the glorious God, the glorious God in a person, the voice we should listen to most, the one who leads us home. All right, so this, this is part one. Jesus is the glorious God in a person. So in this story, Jesus and the three disciples, they go up on a mountain, they pray, and you know, don't think of like some ridiculously high sheer cliff mountain that they go. They're just going up somewhere where they can be somewhat private. And as Jesus prays, he's changed. In, in Matthew and Mark's account of this event, uh, they, they use the word transfigured. Uh, in Greek, it's the word uh, metamorphothē, where we get our word metamorphosis, right? Jesus is transformed before their eyes. He's changed. He's altered in an incredible way. He, he's glorious to look at, the text is saying, right? The, the word glory, it has this meaning of brightness, of splendor. He's blinding. He's, he's dazzling to the eyes. Matthew says his face was shining like the sun and when the disciples who at this point they're they're asleep for much of this and and perhaps this whole event is taking place at nighttime when they awake so this isn't a dream that they're having look at verse 34 this is what they see they say Jesus in his blinding brilliant glorious light and he's speaking with Moses and Elijah and Moses and Elijah are two mega important old testament figures not sure exactly how the disciples knew that they were moses and elijah they kind of have a moses and elijah vibe to them um, but but they knew it was revealed to them in some way they see jesus and then they see this cloud that comes and overshadows them now this sequence of events actually might not mean much to you if you're not too familiar with the bible but it meant a ton to them the image here of a mountain moses a cloud Intense glory would ring some serious alarm bells for you, too, if you're a Jewish person reading about this event in Luke 9 in the first century because these collective elements are teeing up a scenario that they were very familiar with. Peter and company knew what was going to happen next in this sequence of events. God himself was going to show up. Like it was clear to them what was going to happen, just as clear as to us if I gave you a scene uh, with a setting like this. I'm going to describe it to you. Okay, You were inside a dimly lit living room at night. There's a fire crackling on the hearth. Uh, there's colorful stockings hanging on the mantel. Snow is softly fl- uh, falling outside. There's cookies and milk on a decorative plate, on a little, pla- uh, little table, in the corner of the room, a green pine tree covered in lights, and then the muffled sounds of jingle bells overhead on the roof and the prancing of tiny feet. What's about to happen? Who's about to show up? You know what's going to happen, right? Because you're familiar with this story. You're familiar with this setup. And the setup here that Luke is giving to his readers, mountain, Moses, glory, cloud, it sets this all up too. God himself is coming. God himself is going to speak. In the book of Exodus, which took place some 1,700 years before Luke chapter 9, we we read this. This is a story that Peter and, and James and John would be very familiar with. Then Moses, the great man Moses, went up on the mountain. This is a different mountain, Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel, and God spoke to them. See, the people of Israel, Exodus tells us that we're actually, back then, they were, they were terrified in this moment uh, with this sequence of events, because when, when, when they see the cloud, it means that God Almighty is present with them, and they knew if they got too close to this glorious presence, they would die. Like the, this would be it. They've been warned. Do not enter into this cloud. Now, this doesn't mean that God is just, you know, a mean thing that God likes to do, just kind of smiting people for getting too close. You can think of this as kind of like what happens when deep sea divers go too deep into the ocean. Like they get crushed by the immensity and the weight and the power and the depth of the ocean. This is what happens when limited finite beings enter into the presence of the glory of God. It's too much for us. Like we're not made for this. We can't, we can't handle that. And if you look at verse 34 of our text, Peter and company, they know this. They know the drill. The cloud comes and they think it's game over, man. Like it's, it's done. <laughs> because we're about to enter into the presence of God Almighty himself. Matthew's gospel is more explicit, less flattering of the disciples. It says, the disciples fell on their faces and were terrified. They're thinking, we have just passed crush depth. It's over. But what does the voice of God say from the cloud? Look at verse 35. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. If you want to know who Jesus is, this story story points you to his identity. Jesus is the son of God, the chosen one. Jesus is the very glory of God in a person. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God in flesh, living among us. All of the thunder, the rumblings, the power that shook Mount Sinai so long before that terrified the people of Israel, this is all hidden in this one man, Jesus Christ, who stands on the mountain with Peter. Jesus is the glorious God in a person. Friends, if, if, if this story is true, if this is a faithful recording of who Jesus is, God himself in flesh... You must listen to him. You must. It would be madness not to. right? It would be ridiculous to dismiss Jesus and his words as being irrelevant to your life, uninteresting. It would be foolish to take his words lightly, to not build your life on this Jesus, to consider you and your kingdom and your plans far more important than his. It would be nonsensical if the invisible God who created heaven and earth and led his people out of slavery in Egypt has now shown up in human history in the form of the person Jesus, what could be more important than listening to him? To obey him. To trust him. So so who is Jesus? What's Luke getting after? This is the second part of our outline. Not only is Jesus the glorious God in a person, he's the voice we should listen to most. He's the voice we should listen to most. Again, understanding some of what's come before in the Old Testament, is kind of important to understand this story well, because Moses and Elijah, if they don't carry a lot of freight with you, they did for Peter and company, right? These were two enormous, important figures in Israel's history. Moses, you could roughly say he represented the law, the law tradition in, in, in the Old Testament. God's revealed will for his people. And Elijah represented the prophets, God's messages of hope and of a future blessing to his people. So these two enormous parts of the Bible, both the law and the prophets, were incredibly important to the Jewish people. They were God's own self-revelation, him speaking with his people, telling them how they were to live lives that were pleasing to God and what kind of hope that God had in store for them. Moses and Elijah were, again, two of the most significant figures in all of the Old Testament. And so this would have been an incredible moment for Peter and company, right? Seeing their heroes of the faith together at last. Their, their good friend and teacher, Jesus, alongside Moses and Elijah. Not sure what celebrity you'd be most excited to run into uh, when you're out and about, but imagine having the second favorite celebrity also there, right? These two figures, FYI, like, they had never been together, right? Because Moses had been dead and buried some 1,700 years before Luke 9 took place, Elijah had been off the map uh, 1,100 years or, or thereabouts before. So, so this, is, this is clearly a glorious supernatural you know, supergroup coming together. It's an incredible thing to see. And they're standing and they're speaking with the transfigured Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Jesus. It's incredible. And, and Peter has this brilliant idea, this great idea, right? At least this is what he thinks. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. Moses and Elijah actually seems like they're they're, they're leaving, they're walking away, and Peter wants to stop them and says, why don't we camp out here for a little bit longer? I'll I'll make three tents, tents for you three. We'll keep the band together, the law, the prophets, and Jesus. It's going to be great. But the voice of God from the cloud puts a stop to that plan pretty suddenly. And this is what the 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, this is how he explains this verse. He says this, This passage shows the immense distance between Christ and all other teachers whom God has given to man. We are told that when Peter, not knowing what he said, proposed to make three tents on the mountain as if all three deserved equal honor, this proposal was at once rebuked in a remarkable way. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to what Ryle says. That voice proclaimed to Peter's ear that however great Moses and Elijah might be, one stood before him far greater than they. They were but servants. Jesus was the king's son. They were but stars. Jesus was the sun. They were but witnesses. Jesus was the truth. See, even, even in the presence of these people who had so much of the Jewish, Jewish people's respect and honor, there's a voice that they should pay attention to most. Jesus is the voice that you should listen to most. You, you, you all know by now that I have a, a bit of a Lord of the Rings thing, right? Like I'm a big Tolkien fan. I can't help myself. All right. I'm also I like C.S. Lewis quite a bit. I read a lot of his stuff. We did a membership class for Christchurch uh, yesterday. It was a bit embarrassing how often we quoted Tim Keller. Like if I gave out a nickel for every time I said his name, you would be rich and I would be poor, right? Um, and maybe you've got some favorites too. Authors that just have your ear. They speak to you. This is a caution to you. Moses and Elijah were prophets. They they spoke God's own words, and yet their writings pointed us to yet a more glorious word, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. They were but servants. He was the king's son. They were but stars. He was the sun. They were but witnesses. He was the truth. If we can say that about Moses and Elijah, how much more, how much, how much more the voices that you listen to in podcasts and lectures and Instagram, uh, how much less muted should those voices be compared to Christ's? Your own inner voice weighing in on what's good and true and beautiful and and what pursuits you think personally in life are wise and good. Those are voices that that must be quieted beside the voice of Jesus. God himself is clear. There is no one, there is no voice that you should receive counsel more from, uh, give more trust to, give more of your attention to than God's own son, his chosen one, Jesus. Listen to him. Is that the case for you right now? Like who has your ear? Are there other people, other other teachers, counselors, bloggers, vloggers that you pay more attention to than Jesus? Whose opinions matter to you more? Jesus is the glorious God in a person and therefore His is the voice we should listen to the most. The voice we should most trust, most be shaped by, most be conformed to. And this is without needing to belittle or dismiss the great help that others actually might be to us. But Jesus should be the voice that we listen to the most. So this is where we're at. Jesus is the glorious God in a person. His is the voice that we should listen to most this is part three, the last one. This is why. Because. Because he's the one who leads us home. Why should we listen to his voice? Not only because he's the glorious God, but because he is the one who will lead us home. When Jesus was speaking with Moses and Elijah, there was actually a really specific topic that they were discussing, right? You you, you wonder the kinds of things that they'd want to talk about. What was the thing that was actually most exciting for Moses and Elijah to talk with Jesus about? You can see it there in verse 31. They appeared in glory and spoke of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Last week, Jesus made his great prediction of his coming suffering. Right In verse 22 of chapter 9, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This would be done way south in the royal city of Jerusalem, far away from, from the mountain in Galilee that they were on now. See, Christ knew that he was going to be rejected very soon, that he would suffer, that he would die in Jerusalem, but that he would do so in order to rescue his people. And here, this is what he is discussing with Moses and Elijah. This is what they're most interested in. In English, it's interesting that um, uh, the word used to describe Jesus' suffering and death in Jerusalem is referring to his departure. Uh, But the Greek word for this is exodon, right? This is where we get our word exodus. Um, Moses, who's there... He knew a thing or two about exodus, right? Moses was famous uh, for leading Israel's exodus out of slavery in Egypt. God used Moses to rescue his people from bondage and slavery and to bring them home to their promised land. And Jesus is now saying that his suffering, his death and resurrection, which would come in Jerusalem, will be another exodus. That's how uh, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he makes the connection this way. This is what he says. In his death, Jesus will enact an event just like the great exodus from Egypt, only more so. In the first exodus, Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and home to the promised land. In the new exodus, Jesus will lead all God's people out of slavery of sin and death and home to their promised inheritance, the new creation in which the whole world will be redeemed. Listen friends, Jesus is the glorious God in a person. His is the voice that we should listen to most because he is the one who will lead us home, will lead us to what we most desire and long for, perfect peace and harmony with him in a world that he's recreating. Moses' exodus was temporary. It was good, but it didn't last. If you know the history of Israel, it wasn't too long before they managed to work themselves right back into bondage. Right? Within a few generations, because, because that exodus actually didn't go deep enough. It didn't deal with their sin and their guilt and their shame. But it did what it did do was it pointed to yet a greater exodus that was to come. Jesus' exodus is forever. It goes deep. It goes down to our very souls. It gives us life. It takes all of our sin and guilt and shame. And it lays, this, lays it on the shoulders of Christ. So that we can be free, we can be forgiven, and we can be brought home to life and peace with God. Let's end with this. This moment of Jesus' shining glory, his transfiguration, it is thrilling, but it's brief. It's a quick brightness in it, what will actually be a very dark story moving on from here. As quick as it came, Jesus returns to looking just like another common man, and his disciples, they go back to wandering in the wilds, preaching, and, and looking decidedly inglorious, looking very, very common. Fleming Rutledge, she has, a, she has a great book about the Lord of the Rings. It's a great book. We can talk about it afterwards. And this is what she writes about. It writes about this, this kind of theme of Aragorn. It's, it's kind of an interesting one. Aragorn, who is the king of man, he lives unadorned as Strider. And in this way, we can say his mission is Christ-like. Just in this one sense. He is a king. But in order to come into his kingdom... He must live and suffer incognito in the territory of the enemy. Christ, too, he lives as one who is despised and rejected by men, living in enemy territory before he can come into his kingdom, before he can bring us home. He must, despite his true glory, live as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, live without glory live without a home or riches or anything except the clothes on his back. And as Christ Christ is arrested, as he suffers and dies on the cross for you and for your salvation, we must see this as the king coming into his kingdom. Not a common man, but the glorious God in human flesh dying on a cross. This is an amazing thing. We must see the cross not as a tragedy, but as a victory, as an exodus, the very way that he leads his people home. And this is the hope that we as the church we hold out to this world who is desperate for home. We invite all all who will come to hear his voice and follow him, and we his people celebrate and we declare this. There is infinitely more to Jesus than meets the eye. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would reveal your son to us now by your spirit that Jesus wouldn't be a simple intellectual curiosity, a historical figure, but that he would be our Savior, that we would see him as the glorious God in a person. Father, help us to hear his voice, to trust his leading all our days. God, thank you for revealing Jesus to us now in your word. We ask that who he is would sink deeper and deeper into us so that we can follow him. We pray all that in his name. Amen.